G'day and welcome to another edition of Stacks Podcast. I'm Jai Deeg, your host. I want to just say thank you to all those that are tuning in. We are starting to grow. Uh, there's bands coming on board. I've been in touch with bands like Tempest Rising, Pitbull from Perth. It's all happening. Uh, this week we have something a little bit special. I took a trip down south to do a gig with Mr. Music himself, Mr. Uh, Peter Renzello. So that's coming up very soon. And I also spent a large night out with uh, a Mr. Pete Ashton, my favourite uh, crazy conspiracy theorist. This guy is always great entertainment, so a little snippet from uh, Pete there. And uh, also hung out with a venue owner and got his sort of uh, tips on on uh, the scene these days as well. And we uh, had a bit of a lock-in, sat down a couple of drinks that night. And uh, we had a few discussions. I can't play it all for reasons you guys don't need to know. But uh, it was a very interesting evening and we got some very interesting uh, audio recording out of it. So uh, we're not in the studios. This one's on the road with Pete and then we're out on location with uh, Pete Ashton. So very interesting Stacks podcast. Now before we kick off with the show... Uh, I am looking for people that want uh, A, to come on the show and to sit there and tell us a little about yourselves. If you play in a band and you want to get your stuff out there, plus just come on and show us a different side of you guys. Like everyone that's in a band has other hobbies as well, you know, like some I've had doctors on the show, uh, a proctologist who, who's a great musician. I've had people coming in wanting to talk uh motor car sports and all that kind of stuff but they've all got that common interest that we all have on stacks podcast and that is we're all musos from western australia perth so make sure you get hold of us on stacks podcast brought to you by the 6030 and also Bluebone entertainment solutions get hold of me i'm the host jai let's book it in let's get you talking shit just like we always do every week here on stacks podcast and i'll be with you shortly hope you enjoy the show I'm with the busiest bloke I know in Australia. Anyone that's worked with this fella vouches for what I'm about to say. He's a hard man to nail down. Not quite as hard as Jesus, but he's a hard man to nail down. Mate, a very big welcome and a very special welcome to the folks out there. Put your hands together, put your ears together, put your knees together for Mr. Peter Ranzullo. Play the music. Oh, we'll just talk, we'll just talk. That's right. they're, 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 it's not working. <laughs> oh, you mean the intro? I'm playing the intro music, Pete. I'll tell you what, for a sound engineer, <laughs> fuck me. Good start. <laughs> so, Pete, uh, for those that don't know Pete, uh, just to fill you in what's happening, we are driving to a gig. We've got a gig down south, and we're heading uh, down the road. Here we are. Life's tough on the road, Pete. It is. So, for anyone that doesn't know Pete, he is the owner, proprietor of Scudley Records, He's also uh, the founding member of Pullmac, which you will see on uh, Storkbook. Um, his fingers in a lot of pies around the place, movies, you name it. We're going to get to all that. Welcome, Pete. <laughs> hey, good. thanks, mate. Thank you, right for having me. It's been it's been a long time coming, mate. Good to see you again. Yeah, it's yeah, absolutely. Uh, really good to see you again. So, tell me, uh, how long's it been since we collaborated? Well, I suppose we're sort of in the middle of a collaboration with one of our bands, the Big Jack. So, it's um. 
that's a stage thing anyway. I mean, we've done some recording with it, but that's one thing I've really been excited about. Because for the first of all, let's, let's start from the beginning. A bit of history. <laughs> let's go right to the beginning. When we, let's when we, go right back to the when we first met. There was a, there's a, well, a mutual friend, my, my brother-in-law, who wasn't my brother-in-law at the time, uh, told me about this guy who was playing at a party, uh, just, uh, just singing some songs and taking people's names and just sort of uh, making up songs about them and finding it funny. And I was just starting to get into recording myself back then. And he goes, "Oh, you got to check this guy out. He's, he's called Buffett." Um, he, he, he's looking at recording an album. I told him about you. Um, so I said, yeah, we could, uh, we'll, we'll tee it up. So, yeah, lo and behold, Jai came along. This is back in 2002, I think it was, or even earlier. Um, and I was still at my, my folks' place. You know, this is 15, That's right, you were at your parents' place. 15 years ago. So if was, you're wondering <laughs> what's going on, we're, we are driving down the road and uh, a girl with a, her arm in a cast just stepped out in front of us. <laughs> and I uh, just want to bring up Darwin theory of like... <laughs> of devolution. <laughs> of evolution. <laughs> Jesus, what's going on there? Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, so basically started off there. You're still a mum and dad, so were you living there? I was, or? I was living there, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was God, how old were you then, 44? <laughs> well, I would have been probably 20, I think, at the time. I moved out when I was 21, so I think you caught me a year before I moved out. But the funny thing is that I didn't realize this until years later, is when I when Jai first came to my place and, and I, I welcomed him in, and you know we had a bit of a bit of a talk and we recorded one song. But apparently, Jai, Jai thought I was a very very straight Christian sort of uh, person. Well, but you know, apparently, like, apparently well, well, I, I was to... kind of embarrassed because I was <laughs> here. I am cutting a buffet album, yeah. singing songs about whacking off to porn and STDs and all that <laughs> in your mum's lounge room or yep. wherever it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know everything seemed really nice. You know, would you like a cup of tea, John? Yeah, you know, that's right. all that kind of stuff. And I'm just going, oh, I think he's a churchy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Not exactly. saying anything bad about churchies, but you know. But they're not, they're not known for their buffhead recordings, so it's, it was quite funny that. But yeah, then so that we started. That was 15 years ago. 15 years ago, we started sort of collaborating in a way. I was recording you, and you were playing. And then um, it wasn't until a couple of years after that that we recorded the second album, um, which was I think Bring Back the Buff. Or was, oh no, going too far ahead. We actually did a um, a real album, which was uh, pretty cool. But let's get to the studio. We went. Uh, we actually worked at a studio together. In, oh geez, what year was that? In Wangari. That was 2007, 2008. So what happened? We had a guy that was building a studio. <laughs> Uh, Pete and I, 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 I don't know if I feel good about it or bad about it. It kind of kicked off your recording it got, it career. It got me started. It, it kind of gave it. you that, like, yeah. this is what I want to do now. Yeah, totally. It did. So I don't know if I feel good or bad about it, but... <laughs> there were bad <laughs> times, but it was a good... Overall, it was it was good for me. Because um, I, could, I found out I didn't need a boss to tell me how to do the recording stuff. And God knows I didn't know this, this boss I didn't need at all. <laughs> he didn't... Oh, my God. Look, the bottom line is this guy... Um, I don't know if he's still around. Can we talk about him or do we just... Well, we can't. We just, yeah, we'll just keep it as like old mate. All right, old mate, yeah. So old mate, basically, um, long story short, he bought himself all this gear to make a studio up. And it started off in the back of his house and it was, it was a cool little setup. It was better than I had. And then, um, so Jai invited me in because he found, he met this guy somewhere. He said, I want to record an album. And then Jai said, I want my, my, my mate to come and produce it for me. And this guy said, yep, cool. So I came in. I'd never used a program before. And that was actually Pro Tools. This is how, how green I was. <laughs> I never used Pro Tools before. So, uh, yeah, I started, I got, got into this place and I, I've sort of bluffed my way around it. And then a year later, I actually ended up working at the place and, and me and Jai were recording this album. And um, <laughs> a few times when um, th this guy, he, he thought he was a lot more, I think, professional than he really was. And <laughs> Just a quick question. I'll go on. Do we throw in mic stands? Yes. Good. Yep. Yep. Just thought I'd bring that up. I didn't see him. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, but yeah. So, so basically, yeah. The, this guy was um, really out of his depth, 
and then and I was basically finding all this work. I got Jai in. I got Jai. I recorded Jai, and pretty soon we realised this guy was not really what he made himself out to be, which was anything of any use. <laughs> Do you think the fact that when we first had our conversation with him, he gave us his philosophy? Yes. And how it all started with a cup, a cup of, of tea. tea. <laughs> <laughs> he has this, yeah, for some reason he has this really amazing story that all this massive empire he built of this recording empire started with a cup of tea. And he, he still had the mug to, to prove it. He showed us this blue mug. He's like, yeah, see, um, I started with this cup of tea and now look what I've built. And it was, it, was quite, it was quite the story. I think the hardest thing to get around him was that he didn't know everything, but he really believed he was running this empire this amazing this is sony mark ii you know this, this is sony how it was going to end up it, it, it's amazing but he didn't know what he was doing he, he couldn't actually use any of the equipment any of the equipment yeah exactly right it was, it was bizarre remember that time he told me the story when i was he was saying oh, i wasn't playing the guitar right or something like that <laughs> so i sort of said basically well then you get in here and show me how to play you show it. me yeah yeah come in and show me and then uh, he goes oh i can't see that and he showed me like everyone's got lines on their fingers because your fingers bend yeah and it's one of the lines in on your fingers, and he showed me that line. He goes, "Yeah, cut me finger, <laughs> and uh, it never healed right. Now I just can't play guitar." That's <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, he was actually quite. He was a massive talker. I remember one incident. We were at the um, the back of his place, and um, we we were talking, and I don't know how it came up, but I think uh, it was about how Jai can be very competitive, and if you ever challenge him to something, he'll want to. You know, in other words. This guy said to him, you know, um, don't mess with me or I'll bring you in the backyard and I'll put you in a body bag. He was like, oh, I'll put you on a stretcher. Yeah, he was going to beat me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Joe said, well, come on, let's do it, you know, for fun, let's just do it. You know? And he goes, oh, no, nah, no, nah, honestly, it's, it's not funny. I'm going to put you on a stretcher if you're not careful. And this, this guy could hardly walk. The thongs he was wearing would slop against the, the ground. He couldn't lift his legs that high. You know, it was ridiculous. So he, he had such a massive massive opinion of himself. Well, a distorted opinion, if anything. Yeah, I distorted it, totally. On his 50th birthday, um, you know, he, this guy, I don't know how, how, how descriptive I can get of him. He's short, sort of stumpy, could hardly walk, was, was balding, and it was quite big. You know, he was overweight. Heavily, um, heavy, smoked heavily. Oh, massive, massive smoker. Out of condition. Yep, yep, totally. Breathed heavy, just sitting still. Yep, yep. Or would walk around the, the studio with a, with a shirt off half the time, and, and, and he wasn't someone you should see with a shirt off. And basically, he um, turned 50, and I said, oh, mate, you're looking good. He goes, yeah, I know, I can pass the 35, eh? And he was serious. He wasn't a dry sense of humour. He was genuinely serious. I could be 35. But you find people, people like that, and we all know someone like that who surrounds himself with people... Yeah. Who tell them basically what they want to hear? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. So then you get those cases of people sort of like telling him like, "Oh yeah, yeah, you could, yeah. mate. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know? Yeah." So. But to be to be fair, I did that a lot to him, so I could get more sway in what I was doing. I, I, <laughs> like for example, I'd say I'd say to him, "You oh, weren't helping Pete." No, no, that's, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> it. I wanted to use the studio on a certain night, or I wanted to use something of his gear. I wanted to borrow some of his gear for something. Then I'd, I'd smooth talk him. I'd, I'd say. Um, what an amazing job he'd done with building the studio and, and just, you know, I can't believe he did this by yourself, mate. This, this, it's incredible. He goes, oh, you know, I've got some experience. And, can, can, I, can I borrow this mic tonight? Yeah, no, you're right, mate. Go on, go for it. He was so easy to manipulate. It was it was actually embarrassing. I felt bad. Obviously, I mean, obviously you feel bad, but but it was so easy. It was like telling telling a kid, you know, oh, mate, Santa's coming tonight, so you better go to bed now. Oh, shit, okay, okay. It was so easy. It was, it was easy. To, and I think the problem was that, like you said, everyone had been telling him how great he was that he just believed it and didn't try to make anything better or even try doing anything that would make himself 
be worthy of, of, of owning a studio. Yeah, yeah. He talked big to women. He, he always claimed how amazing he was with women and how he always got them, um, which is not hard when you're hiring prostitutes, which is what he was doing. Well, I don't know if anyone's, <laughs> anyone's ever heard of a song that I did as Bullfed. Yeah. And the weird thing is I actually wrote a song yeah. within a few days of being there about this guy. Yeah, that's right. And if you've heard the song, Kenny could have been. And, and honestly, it was about... It was like like about he was going to go on a world tour with Kiss, but but he got on the piss. He couldn't do it, and it, or you know got in a fight with Jeff Fennick, you know. But you know, and honestly, it was it was like that. It was so over the top. Some of them, I mean, there was there was a couple of truths like, and the guitar solo was like, it was like exactly what I thought I'd hear. Yep, yep. You know, I mean, but yeah, very funny. It was it was a very funny time. So, and I can honestly say that guitar solo is probably the worst guitar solo on record in Australia. <laughs> From the man himself, Phil Emanuel actually said that. He said, it's the worst, most amazing, disgustingly stupid guitar solo. I want to learn it. Because <laughs> it was so bad. It was t- You couldn't try and write a guitar solo bad and make it sound as bad as this thing sounds. It was so perfect. You, you're, you're a genius. You're, <laughs> it was so good. And uh, I, I love in the, in the video, like, I'm wearing a glove yeah, so yeah. I don't burn up my fingers like, <laughs> on re-entry. <laughs> it was cool. It was cool. Yeah, there was heaps of incidences. Anyway, long story short, I ended up leaving that place. It was just doing my head in. But the experience I got from that, really, you know, because I was getting work. I, was, I wrote these little albums and they were playing in restaurants. So I, could, I, could, I proved to myself I could do this without him. Yep. And, I, and that spurred me on to start Scudley Records. And that was when it started. And then Jai came back again and we, we did the album. And now we're embarking a lot more these days on live stuff. We're doing a lot of... A lot of um, we went on tour. In 2012, actually together for two weeks. Geez, that was a lot of fun with my band. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. with the Renzulo project. Yes. And, I listen to the music and everybody and knowing the guys in the band too everybody who does their thing they just put the right touch on everything they do and it's such a personal touch from it like Kieran's voice is so Kieran but the thing is James's bass is so James it is totally and and if you put anyone else in there you wouldn't get that obscureness about it that it's got which is totally yours Kieran is the quintessential front man he's great you know, he's Irish, obviously, and I mean, the the best thing about that is he's so easy to talk to people on stage. He'll talk to the audience, and he'll have a, he'll have a, have, a, have some crack. You know, he'll have a good good time. He's he's made for that that audience. You know, for an Irish audience. And we did a, a gig supporting Hermitage Green in um, God, I forget what it's called, the venue, but it was packed. And he just owned it. He, he he's not afraid to talk to the audience. And a lot of frontmen do find that hard to sort of just talk and banter he, he found it natural he was great then there was Mike and um, the, on tour the good thing about Mike he's got a nickname these days called the Dark Horse and it came from that tour in 2012 we were in Broome and we, we actually stayed at a backpackers it was disgusting <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was horrible uh, just a shout out to Cable Beach backpackers <laughs> up there in Broome. Uh, the weather disgusting weather yeah. no no it was <laughs> but yeah, yeah anyway um, myself and the drummer Selv um, we thought, oh, we've got to try and you know, stitch him up somehow. So we, they were giving away free condoms at the place, which is a cool idea. We got one and filled it with some up and go. And just tied at the end. Just getting back to the free condoms. Okay, okay, okay. A very smart move by Cable Beach Backpackers because it cut down on their washing of the sheets by, <laughs> oh, they saved thousands. <laughs> 
That's right. And they could start the blue parade every I year. I know, you walk in there with one of those blue lights. <laughs> Seriously, it looked like a painter had gone fucking shit in there. It looked like a pterodactyl was kept in there for the last six years. Like a mass murderer had put everyone in one room. <laughs> That's right. So anyway, yeah, we thought, and Mike is, you know, uh, he is he, so called easily stitched up. He, he easily gets worked up over things, uh, but we love him. He's awesome. He's such a he's such a he's so innocently nice. <laughs> nice, and you know what? You know he, what? He's annoyingly nice. Annoy- <laughs> I love him, but he's just so. I want to see him at least swear one day. <laughs> so we we left this um this condom filled with up and go on his bed while he was asleep. So we thought oh, it will be funny. He'll but wake I, up. He'll I, wake up and freak out. I genuinely thought. Well, here's a story, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because what happens is we were all sitting outside afterwards. And you guys were obviously waiting for Mike to wake up and That's find right. it. And then Jai comes in and he goes, guys. I walk in and I, I see, well, I better say what I saw. Uh, I walked yeah, in. Yeah. I had no idea this was going on. <laughs> and I walk in and I'm usually the prankster, but at this time I just had no idea. And Kieran, Kieran, was Kieran probably all, all. No, no, just me and Sal. Self. Yeah, yeah, just me and Sal. So yeah. the, here's this franger with up and go <laughs> in it on the bed. And it looks so legit. On Mike's bed. And me putting two and two together, thinking, Mike's rubbed one out. (laughs) And he didn't want to get anything on the sheets messy. And he's he's fallen asleep afterwards. So I've walked in and seen this, and that's what I just instantly assumed. I just assumed that's what had happened. Yep. Then I walk out to the boys, and I'm like, ah, fellas... I think we've got a dark horse. I think we've got a dark horse amongst us. And they're looking at me with a smile oh, on their face going, brilliant. What? Yeah. And then I went, uh, I don't know how to say this, but uh, I think Mike's been rubbing one out. Yeah. And you're not going to believe it. He's worn a franger so he didn't make a mess. The so, boys are losing their oh, shit. You guys was, are losing your shit. Because you were so... You were so Definitely, you're like, you can't, you're, seriously, no, listen, this is amazing. Mike has done this. Like, I'm, you, I'm loving this. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you were, oh, it was awesome. It was, it was so great. It was better seeing the result, the reaction from uh, from Jai than it was from Mike. <laughs> Fucking hell, that's evil can evil just went past us, yeah. Yeah, there was heaps of stories like that on tour. It was wicked. One one night, we actually got on the piss after a gig in um, at the Tambre Centre in... Uh, Caratha. Caratha, yeah. yeah. And um, we got on the piss, and uh, James, our bass player... Um, Scored! He had scored a couple of bottles of vodka, <laughs> and he, he, honestly, he he was we had a, a bit of a you know, yeah shots and things, but James grabbed this one point oh no Galliano a one point five liter Galliano oh, sorry, sorry seven hundred mil Galliano bottle full and just sculled it, and it was and then he got up on the on the on the railings and this is so not James no it, it, well, well I, I guess not but he handled it pretty well because what he did afterwards he got on the railings and started doing handstands oh no no but backflips on this. The, on the, the girder, the railing of the um, of the of the roof, <laughs> he started doing that while he had with a bottle of um, of sambuca under his belt. It's unbelievable. And then there's me. I'm having a few shots. You know, those little jello shots. They were pretty cool. But he was. He, I was surprised at him. Jai obviously got on it pretty good. He fell asleep after a while in the chair. Yep. And then when he woke up, um, like we were sort of laughing, and, and then he started like pretending he was going to go go Kieran, you know, oh come here, mate. And Kieran was sort of laughing, but he was genuinely scared because Jai's, you know, a bear, and Kieran, Kieran was sort of like, oh, you know, a koala. Yeah, a koala. <laughs> That's right, an Irish koala. <laughs> a koala that goes top of the morning until you like. <laughs> so Jai was sort of trying to rush uh, rush uh, Kieran, and he didn't know Kieran that well. I mean, so. Kieran didn't know Jai that well at the time. I did actually want to stick a finger in his bum. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. No spit. 
Oh, it was what amazing. a better way to get to know a guy. Oh, totally, exactly it. So that, that was till four in the morning. Yeah. And then six that morning, we got up and uh, drove to Port... Uh, where are you? So Port... Um, Headland. Port Headland. So that, and that was a good three, four hour trip. It was ridiculous. The amount of hours we did in the car, and that was some of the fun bits. We had Mighty Boosh on the on the um, on the deck, and we were watching that as we we're going along, and it, and it was great. It was cool. The car trips alone were actually really really fun, apart from the gigs. The car trips up there, eight nine hours at a time. Sometimes me, you, and Sal in the front of our van, and then Mike, James, and Kieran in the in their uh, the car. Do you remember that call, Sal? We were in a car, and Sal would refuse the aircon shit itself. Yes, day one into it. You love this. And then, self <laughs> didn't want his window open. Didn't want his window open, and we're event. cooking. We're yeah. cooking. I've got mine open, hanging, spray myself with a spray bottle. Yeah. And I'd look over at Sal, and he's asleep with his head against the window. And then I said to him one day, Sal, do your window down. He goes, No, no, I'm right, man. I'm good. I'm good. And then it was like, Nah, seriously, man. Like, nah, put it's your hot. window yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really hot. And he's yeah. like, No, nah, no, nah, I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah. And, we're thinking, What's and then I'm like? just mucking What's around. I went, What? Well, don't you want to mess up your hair? <laughs> yeah. And that was exactly the reason <laughs> he, he, would, <laughs> he, did, he didn't want the window yeah. down. And, and, and even if, I mean, if he thought ahead, he would have thought, Oh, yeah, no, that's why. Yeah. Like, to make a joke of it. But he actually, he was like, Oh, you caught me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, nowhere to go. I picked it and hit the nail. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, good times. Yeah, that was a great tour. That was 2012, yeah. Well, where, then, where did we go when it had the Renzullo Bros? Because that's what was... That was, No, the Renzullo Bros was here in Perth. We went to the boulevard. And old, um, uh, what's his name? Your, 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 old, man, your old manager from, um, what's it called? From the Bone of Contention. Oh, uh, yeah, that guy. Dean. Dean, yeah. Something. Big, big Dean. Big, big Dino. Dean. Yeah, basically. He, Dino from Wagon Wheel. Bandwagon. Yeah, yeah. But he, he was notorious for misspelling or just misreading because we'd actually write in emails, okay, yep, yeah, this is the band that's playing with the Renzulo Project. Um, it's myself and at the time my brother on the drums um, and then the rest of the band. And he wrote on the actual advertisement, oh, come see the Renzulo Bros. And and it, it wasn't even a case of a phone call that he misunderstood. It was written down. There was a, <laughs> and he even misspelled Renzulo. It was one L. I think even when Pop Stanton, uh, Pop Stanton came along, it was Pop Stanton and Co. Yep. He couldn't, I don't know, it was almost intentional that he would miswrite these, these names. Oh, yeah. We'd promise, uh, we'd get promised uh, meals after our gig. We'd turn up there and the owner, Frank, would say, what are you talking about? So uh, well, Dean, Dean told us it was free meals. Oh, that cunt. Like, like, he wouldn't, they wouldn't, and obviously the place is closed down now. I wonder why. But I'll tell you what, he was, he was, he was laughable. It got to the point where at first we were annoyed. Like, you, what are you doing, mate? And then we started laughing every time. Every gig we'd book there. There's no margin but for management. No, no, no. I mean, That's it's it. not like it was back in the heyday. Places are tightening up because there's not much money in the... Everyone's struggling, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So there's, it's just not room for management. We've got a few guys that we know in the industry, Pete, that what a tough gig, you know, and they're getting ruthless. They don't mean to be, but I guess they have to be to survive, you know, and it's really sad, and it doesn't make it any better for the live music scene either. So It's tough, yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, it, at the end of the day, it's a business. If you go into a venue and you want to you play some gigs, there's not much of a crowd there. As a business owner, you've got to think, well, is this worth doing? Yeah, true. And in that case, you don't get the bands. What you shouldn't do, though, um, which is a lot of a lot of venues do try to do, um, is is to try and get bands in and basically, uh, well, not not pay them is fine. They can get the door, but not even offer the door. They're, they're just getting them in to pay for free. True. Open mic nights are different. That's cool. Open mics are good. Get you know young young artists in to get experience, but to to expect artists to come in and just not get any pay at all and not even offer to have someone on the door so they can actually get door takings because they, they don't want to return people away because if you get a, got a pay to come in you don't get punters. It, 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 I think from both sides it's got to be some effort. 
from the band side, they've got to do more work promoting themselves because none of them, a lot of, a lot of them don't. They don't put posters out. And is this why Paul, when you when you put Paul Mac together? Yep. You know, like was that the intention was to bring attention towards the intention of Paul Mac was to give some cred to those artists who are being put on in a Paul Mac show. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's Paul Mac. Okay, so they'll get people here. Because I, I did, I, I'd make up promo videos. I do the the posters. You I'd, put a lot of time. I in do it. the mailing list. I do everything. And I remember it. saying to you, mate, I'm concerned you'll burn yourself out. And I because you, you won't yeah. get the return. Yeah. And the thing is, when and I it's started, hard, it's hard. It is. It is. Your and heart and soul's right there. But oh, it is. Yeah. But you've got a family now, and you know... Exactly right. And the thing is, going into it, I, I was never trying to think, okay, this is a good money-making venture. I was hoping for a break-even venture and at least get uh, the, the, name, the name Paul Mac out there. So when you when everyone heard a show being put on by Paul Mac, they want to come and see it, or a venue, more importantly, would say, oh, cool, it's Paul Mac, yep. You or you knew that it was going to be a certain quality of show. Because exactly. Oh, yeah, here's the right. other thing, too, exactly that right. in Perth, it can be quite hit and miss. There's a lot of live venues yep. that get bands in, but yep. sometimes... I found this in the comedy scene as well. It's, it's kind of works hand in hand where sometimes you go in and you go, like, I'm going to go step out and I'll, I'll give live music a go. Yeah, yeah. Then when you walk in there, I'll give comedy a go and you yeah. walk in and it's really below par. Yeah. That can actually be detrimental to the punter wanting to go out and see it again. Totally. You know, yeah, and, exactly, and yeah. the thing is too that they listen to stuff on the radio. Yep. We've all got multimedia yep. at our fingertips these days. Yep, exactly. So the standard needs to be of a live show needs to be have more wow factor oh, yeah. than, within that and, then, and needs to yeah, be of right. a certain quality and so. that's why with Paul Mac I tried doing that I tried targeting a lot of um, just the general public promoting to them because a lot of the time um, you go to any music site or music page on Facebook it's full of musicians whereas with Paul Mac a good 40% of them aren't even musicians they're just there because they want to see what shows they're on and whatever that was one of the but also me putting on shows I had to, I handpicked the artists because I knew that, that I needed some a certain quality to, to sell to these, to these audiences any band that got that goes to any venue and just offers to play for free, they want to just get some experience. That's fine. Audiences don't want to see bands playing with experience. They want to get playing for experience. They want to see bands that are tight, that are well rounded, that they've got their show together. Because it's, it's entertainment. If you go in there for an open mic night, you know you're going to see an open mic night. So the music is important, but yeah. also there's a whole other element which a lot of people don't get, which is the showmanship. Owning, oh yeah. Owning the stage. Yeah. Coming in and just like ripping people's heads off yeah. with and standing there just playing guitar with a look on your face like you're sort of copping it in the ass by off Godzilla <laughs> actually no that would be entertaining I'd go see that yeah, yeah I'd actually watch that <laughs> but if you're watching so, you know like someone's like just like their cat died this yeah, morning yeah yeah and they're out there going hmm, fucking hell, yeah, yeah 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 exactly. but that sort of crept into a lot of the music in Perth where that people thought that was cool and it's not cool it's not cool it's not in fact an audience is more engaged with your show between your songs if you do it well if you talk, that's a good point. If you engage with an audience between your songs and keep them focused, then you're going to win them over. If you just play a really great song and then just say nothing really, or you sort of got no no personality on stage, they're not really going to care. And, and that's the that's the truth of it. True. Why would why would you care? Or someone who's just playing a great song, but in between songs, like oh thank you, um, this one here is you know one of those songs that are really close to me. Fuck off. Who cares? Just play the song. <laughs> Give me a funny story or just engage with us. You know. Yeah. Uh, banter is so important. And who's again, someone that you know of in Perth that does that really well? Morgan Bain. Morgan Bain? Yep, totally. In fact, we did a show, I put on a show with him, um, with the Ellington actually, and he was great because he'd jump from the piano to the guitar and in between, walking between the piano and the guitar, he'd say, you guys do it with me? Let's do it. He, he was really quite engaged with the audience. Part of his show was, I'm going to focus on getting the audience to in, interact with me. And that was really great. A, a couple of artists that I've also put on before, which were fantastic, like on CD and stuff, but they weren't particularly engaging live. 
they're the ones that don't really tend to get a much of a following. Yeah, and, and a general audience isn't going to care about how great you are on guitar. They're going to care if you're fun to listen to or watch. Uh, and that, that's why it's important in between songs to work on your act. So, steering away from that for a second, yep. your, your studio, is yeah. you're starting to produce some really good stuff. Cheers. Like, I, I guess because I've known you from so long and yeah. I've watched you from day one from yeah, the yeah, first yeah. ever <laughs> that's recording right. That's right. right through to what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mate, what's been, has there been some bands that have come through that, that are very memorable for you that you just go, wow, like, uh, from what they've come in and done and, yep. and, and what they're putting out? I mean, for example, I, I heard uh, the twins, uh, Kate and Emily. Oh, yeah, who, yeah, Graham, yeah. Who, you know, I mean, they've got a solid little product. They yeah. sound pretty nice. Yep. But I've, I've got to say it, you made these girls sound amazing. Well, I do enjoy those artists. I, lo- I mean, a lot of um, producers tend to, I mean, I, I can't speak for everyone, but a lot of producers, if an artist comes in and says, oh, look, I play a bit of guitar, I've got a song, it's, it's all right. I'm not a bad guitarist, but I'd like to have a full a song, a full band production. I, I love those. Like, yeah, and, and the Graham, you, you get to get involved yeah. and add to it. And I say, look, put down your guitar and your vocals and leave it with me. And, I, and I'll, I'll put drums, I'll put keys, I'll put everything, I'll electric guitar. I love doing that because I, I love bringing, and then, then I love the, this, the look on their face when they listen to You're it You're going to love putting together yeah. the new Buffett album. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting. I know. Yeah. But the good thing is also when you get, or rather, I mean, um, I suppose the flip side of that is some artists will um, come into the studio for the, for the first time ever and I'll do that and they'll think that's the norm. Whereas a lot of studios don't do that. Some studios are run by um, sound engineers who aren't even musicians. They might just, you know, record really bloody well, but they, they don't add music, uh, music in there from themselves. They might have to get a session music in. Yep. The cost goes up. Whereas I can do it all myself with my gear. It's, it's fantastic. And um, a few bands are there. I mean, the Graham sisters are great. I love working with um, Beautiful Cartel, which is Glenn Herbert. He's um, a guy that, he's, he's, he's a fantastic voice, a great songwriter, but he'll come in and say, okay, here, do what you want to this one here. And I think, oh, awesome. I'm in a candy store, do what I want. Um, the bands that have come in that I've been really impressed by just off the bat as far as them playing really well and just know their songs really well, um, there's St. James Sirens, they're really good. Um, there's a couple of acoustic acts as well that have, that have come in off the top of my head. There's been over a hundred now, but there's a few standout ones that are really cool like that. But for me, as a personal joy, is the ones that come in that just say, oh, just put something behind it. It's like, oh, cool, all right, nice one. I've got an awesome drum kit now, I've got some great guitars, awesome amps, it's, it's wicked. But a lot of the time, I've found well, a lot of the growth in my studio has been the gear as well. You hear a lot of people say, "Oh, you know, it's, it's not the end, it's not the gear, it's the engineer," and that's true to a degree. But the thing is, you were doing good things. With this is what gear. I'm excited about. You were doing good things with pretty Med- entry gear. level sort of oh, gear for, totally. for four to five, six years. Easily. Then you added a few good mics and, yep. it, and it made an improvement. Yep, yep. And then you added, you know, a couple, uh, of, bits of, a couple of compressors yep. and maybe a, an, an EQ and a yep. different desk. Yep. And a couple of, uh, you know, um, a couple of preamps and all yeah, that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that made a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. Now you've got. Oh, the works. The works. <laughs> totally. You've got the works. Totally, yep. And you know all your stuff. Yep. And I, I can honestly say what I'm hearing now yep. to what I was hearing even two years ago. Yep. Vast improvement. Oh, I agree. I, I find it hard to listen to some of the stuff from two years ago. Well, two years ago, the, your drum sound was uh, terrible. It was, yeah. Oh, it was terrible. To be honest, it you was know, terrible. And now I'm yep. starting to hear it. It's gating well. It's yes. doing all those things really nice. Yes. So. And honestly, a great sounding drum kit starts with a great drum kit. It, it's as simple as that. The mics obviously help a lot, and the player. But if you've got a pretty cheap drum kit, it's hard to make it sound amazing without a lot of EQing and stuff, you know? Well, it is. It's, I mean, the drums have to... And, and the other thing, too, here's a tip for drumming and recording drumming, is um, with, a, with a kick drum in particular, it's all about a woof. 
If you're getting a slap, you can't make it sound like a wolf. You need to have that. Equity, and you yeah. want that wolf to sound thick. You need that frequency And, and to get that kick that what we're used to hearing through speakers. Yep. So you need to have your bass drum doing a wolf sound. Now one of the things that helps with that, and this is a bit of an endorsement for uh, drum ports and kick ports and things like that. What I say with a port is, it is a, a piece of plastic or a bit of tubing that goes in your bass drum. You've got two on yours, haven't you? Yeah. Two little ones. And it ports and it pulls the sound from the middle of the, the kick. So what you want to think about is it's like blowing a smoke ring. When you blow a smoke ring, you're creating it from your lips as the smoke comes out. I've never smoked in my life. I've never done it. So I'm <laughs> imagining it's because it's uh, it, it comes up and it ends up in a ring and the sound would do the same thing through just a hole cut in your kick drum. Sticking a mic in the middle is not the secret. The secret is if you're pulling the sound from the middle of the drum, compressing it through the kick port and then putting the mic at the face of the kick port, you get the woof sound. So you're actually getting a tunnel of sound coming through as opposed to like a smoke ring which is hollow in the middle. Yep. So then you're getting a hollow sound. So there you go for all those people out there wanting to get the best sound out of their kick drum. Yep. You can't go past a kick port yep. or something that's pulling the noise from the middle of the of the uh, of the kick drum. That's right. And in fact, I'm using two different mics in my uh, kick drum. Very very different sound mics. And when you blend them, it just covers a lot more of that frequency range that the kicks are producing. What also, are the What are the two mics you're liking for your? I'm uh, using the D112, the AKG, for for the, to get the more sort of uh, mids to high, and then I'm using an, an Audex D6, which is getting a lot more of the sub sounds. Yep. We put them together, and it's brilliant. And even where you place them, of course, makes a difference. But also the beta head. Now, if you're a metal band, and you come into me with a felt tip beta, then you're an idiot. You should know that you can't get a good sound out of that. Recorded anyway. I mean, I'm not, I'm, for live, I'm sure they can tweak it a bit. But for recording, a wooden beater or a plastic beater is going to be the best sound. And I've got the best sounds out of those. Yeah, I guess that. Exactly right. Yeah, right. It's slappy, but it's got some punch behind it too. Yeah. If you kind of come in doing some jazz stuff or some, you know, even soft rock stuff, felt beaters are great. But also the turn it around, get the rubber beater. It makes a difference. The type of beater. Same with the sticks. If you're going to get a plastic stip tick or you're going to get just a wooden stip tick for your snare big difference it, it does make a difference the way you mic your snare is different I'm using two mics for my snare one's a condenser one's a dynamic it just it, it allows a lot more room for uh, EQ above and below yeah yep yeah which obviously is a personal preference but for me it works well um, it, it just helps and um, on guitar cabs now one thing I've always read about um, on, on, in, in guitar cabs the way you record them and everything every forum you look at on the internet what's the best way to record a guitar a guitar cab and everyone says oh SM57 it's the best way to go and for me, I've never got a great sound out of it. Now, I've actually found a bit of a bit of a um, trick is to take the cap off an SM58, and I couple that with either an Audex i5 or a um, Sennheiser E906. The, Have you tried the uh, C414? No, I haven't got one. Yeah, okay, yeah. No, I haven't tried it either. No, they're, they're condensers, aren't they? They are, but yeah. they're really good. You see a lot of major gigs that they use those. Cool, that's good. Like when they got the no no budget. Yeah, 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 yeah. If yeah. you you can get buy any mic and then run with that. Yep. They tend to use those quite a lot. Well, they're, they're, they're great all rounders. Those sort of mics, they can do anything. They're, they're like road mics, the NT two A. They're really good at pretty much put them in front of anything. They'll sound good. Um, it just it's amazing what sort of versatility you can get out of those those mics there. But yeah, I think for micing up guitar cabs, I've never found an SM57 that works well. 5K always seems to peak and it sounds crap. Um, but every forum we look at it, everyone goes, oh, SM57. And I don't know, for me it doesn't work. In my studio, again, it's my space, I don't know it works. I, I don't point them at the speaker. I, I yeah. use 57s, but I don't actually point it 
at the speaker like a lot of people do on the way they're no. designed for. No, yeah, that's right. I hang it over the speaker. So it's facing the ground. So it's facing the uh, ground, yeah, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. get a lot rounder sound, and I've, got, I've and I've got a lot more headroom to work with it yep. to get a good sound. So it's, it's a good good trick for live as well. Yeah, exactly. So basically, you're getting the reflection off the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is coupled with. The, what's coming out of the amp and yeah. it's hitting the side of the mic and yeah. I don't know I just seem to get a, a nicer sound and well you wouldn't get the harshness of the highs there that's yeah you don't it, well. it, it takes care of that 5k yes. problem yeah totally so. totally that's good no it's good fun and I mean with the, with the gear I've been getting investing in with my studio through trades as well I've been trading old gear for better gear and actually over the last couple of years I've got a heap of awesome amps now and um one thing I find is that some bands will come in and they'll bring their gear, which is not necessarily very good sounding. Whereas with my amps, I've got the amps now and I've mic'd them all up in so many different ways. And I know the sweet spots for every amp I've got. So I tend to encourage bands to just bring their guitars and their bass and I'll just use my amps for it. Just so they can see, I know what I'm doing with those amps. So, so I, mean, I, I don't know, I just I tend to find that having my own amps is, makes life a lot easier for getting the good guitar sound. Because I've mic'd them up a certain way that work really well. Whereas someone might bring in a Behringer amp that's got built-in 95 effects and it just sounds <laughs> it sounds terrible. But that's what they use. You think, oh, how am I going to get this working? And you can't really. It's it my is. sound, man. It is. That's it's right. my yeah. sound. Yeah, yeah, exactly it. So <laughs> I, I, that hasn't happened much, luckily. But I mean, if some bands come in um, with, with amps that have got like all these effects built in, it's like, yo, I've got built-in digital reverb. Yeah, turn it off. It's not, it's the not only good. one that <laughs> I know has done that, that yeah. I know that's recorded with you, but... I suppose I couldn't imagine his sound any different. Yep. Is Joe Pierce. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's He's right. got a particular sound which is so Chuck Ombre. Yes, it is. That's right. And I guess to shut my eyes and you just hear a riff start. Yep. It's Joe's sound. And what he uses is, I think it's a PV Rage or. It might be. It's a little, it's, P, a it's a little PV mic and then yep. he couples it with a massive quad box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's and right. he drives it hard, yeah. really hard. Yeah, yeah. But. It's just got it's got Chuck Hombre's sound. Yeah, yeah, that's and right. And he makes it work. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah. So you I, know, I recorded them ages ago when I did. I don't the think you'd gear. have anything that would get that sound. That's specifically Joe's sound. You well, know, that's so. a good point. Some bands have a certain. Uh, is it is it mud vein or something that used to mic up just the back of the amp and that was it and that was their signature sound? It sounded horrible, but you knew it was mud vein. Yeah. I think it was them, or it might have been some other one. It was it was a punk band anyway. No, I don't think I might be thinking of. But yeah, it, it is good. Maybe you, rancid, I think. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah, when you get a band that does, I mean, it is their thing. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, Blackjack, our band, has got a particular sound. We're very sort of old school mixed. But do you find that's the sound of your amps, or just the style you play? Um, well, the style we play is quite chuggy. It's kind of very. We used to be very much like um, Black Sabbath, but I'm a massive Alice in Chains fan, so I'm trying to bring yeah a bit of that into it and then in between we've thrown a bit of punk in and yeah uh rock ballads like we've just been mucking around with today and yeah yep. uh yeah but it's it's a particular sound but then going through your gear today yep. you're right you know how to do it and some stuff even just preamped up and direct in oh that's the job yeah well yep. if it's going to be a nice underlying tone exactly you know because you just you have you have a lot more control and, yes and, well, and that's yeah. what's happened with digital gear these days yeah that's you know? right that's right yeah if it's analog i would never say that no of course not yeah you know? that's because right one you can't do it and two yeah. um analog loves that that rip tear and sound you yeah know? So, totally totally but here's a tip too if you control your sound and let your your guy engineering your sound if you keep it simple there's a lot more room for work afterwards if you go out of the box with a particular sound you can't strip it back and that no, goes for right. vocals 
Uh, so if you want to hear effects in your cans or something, that's fine. You're yeah. better off letting it go and just having it nice and clean and raw. Yep. yep. And then later on you can add to it, but you can never take it away. No, exactly. It. And that's a great rule to think of when you're recording. So. Yep. And in fact, it's, it's always best to do things like reverb or delay. Is do it post. Do it after you've recorded. But then you can adjust how fast or slow or how wet or dry the reverb is. If you record that reverb, you're stuck with it. You can't do anything to it. That's so, right. So some effects. I mean, chorus. I personally prefer to use real chorus pedals because the the stuff on on the Pro Tools and stuff is it's all right, but it's not the same warmth as a real chorus pedal. Nah, that's true. You know what I mean? So things like that are definitely that's fine. Flanges, choruses, any modulation is good. But uh, things like reverb, unless it's a Fender Twin or something like that, uh, like a, an authentic Fender sort of spring reverb sound, just use the one I've got in my in my plugins library because that will be the best way to control it. And most of the time, you don't need to be so amazingly sounding reverb. It's sort of buried somewhere in the mix. Doesn't need to be amazingly analog sounding reverb or with real strings. It just has to be a reverb that works. It might be a little guitar lead that has a reverb. Just leave it dry, and I can do everything afterwards. Delay in particular is tough. Definitely. So um, you've been obviously a lot recording now for what, 10, 11 years, 12 years? Well, technically since maybe longer. Ninety nine. Technically, so wow. Well, so we're looking at eighteen years. years. Yeah. But with the studio, it's been since two thousand ten. So so you got years. this neat little home studio. Yep. Yep. And you know what? You've probably you're in the perfect. Uh, you're right next to your kids. Yeah, oh, it's you, ideal. You, you've got home. plenty of work now coming in, and yep. you know what? Your overheads are low. They are. That's perfect. Yep. Exactly. And you don't need to go larger. You know, if you said to me, "Oh, I'm thinking about opening up a studio and getting a, you know, doing this and doing that," I'd actually go, "Man, you're mad. You're absolutely yeah, yeah. crazy." I know what you mean. I know what you mean. In fact, when, when uh, sometimes when people ask me, "Oh, so what are your overheads?" I say, "Oh, they're Rode NT5s." What do you mean? It's about their mics. I haven't got any overhead, so I've got electricity. <laughs> you know, I use, I use, I use yeah, so I, I, you know, a bit of a joke, but I mean, it's true. There's no overheads apart from electricity, um, and that, that really is the best thing about work. And it's a studio setup. I mean, it's back in my house, but it's a proper room, purpose, you know, fitted out for a studio. Yeah. Control room and a, a performance room is tiny, but it, it, I can fit a band in there, and, and it works. So. I, and like you said, I've got two young kids. One, the oldest one's four this this year. So it's great to be home and so close to them. Uh, I can go inside and just go take care of them for a while while the missus is doing stuff. And I'm not getting pulled away from work too far. Really, it's good. And, in the, and, and conversely, they can come into the studio and muck around with my my gear. It's awesome. Sometimes when I'm there with them, <laughs> I can turn up and sometimes my pre's have been changed to some weird setting. I think, oh, <laughs> I don't know how to do that before. Now it works. I go, oh, it's good. So sometimes I'll come across something, like, uh, some feature on my um, desk that I hadn't used before, <laughs> and, and I'll press it and it works. Henry's, oh, Henry's been in there button <laughs> yeah, smashing. Right, exactly. And uh, he's set up like this awesome sound. It's like, man, this sounds great. Does, is Henry, does he get commissioned for uh, sound technician advice? <laughs> no, he should. Yeah. He should, I know. Yeah, exactly it. <laughs> yeah. So, mate, um, some of the bands that you've recorded lately, who's who's yep. who's some of the ones that you've? Uh, I think you were doing stuff with. Uh, let me think. Um, yeah, you did some James Siren. Yes, I did, I'm doing. I'm doing currently a band called Banyan um, with uh, Jerry Martin on, on main vocals. They're sort of a more of a, a, a not death metal, but they're heavy, like really full on vocals. They're really, they're, they're good fun actually. They're really cool. So I'm doing them. Um, and again, the, the flip side of that, I suppose, I'm doing a band called the Artisans. They're more of a sort of a classic sort of rock sort of funky band. Um, I'm doing a couple of soloists, like I mentioned that beautiful cartel with Glenn Herbert, the soloist stuff. Um, so, and, and, and even a hip hop artist too. So I've got a couple of bands, and actually the hip hop stuff, the electronic stuff, I'm loving that right now. I'm really enjoying just using this, this uh, plugin called um, Break Tweaker, which has got, um, it's sort of like Fruity Loops, but a more advanced version. And it's making up hip hop beats and even just electronic music in general. Like for a guy called Paul Bousfield, um, who goes by the name Good Morning Apollo. His stuff's really cool. It's sort of dark and gritty electronic stuff, and that's really fun to do. To go from that one morning, then, then wake up the next day and do a band like Banyan, a metal band, 
in, in the one little studio. It's really cool to have that diversity. Some studios are known for their certain styles that they're master at. Or if you're if you're a rock band, you go to this studio here. That's just the way you go. If you're a, if you're a hip hop artist, you go to this guy here. Whereas I'm I'm a, I'm a bit of a mixed bag. I do everything. Um, so I'm a jack of all trades. I'm not really a master of them all, but I, I can get the sound right. <laughs> so it's cool. Well, mate, we uh, we love recording with you, so it's yeah. uh, it's always good. It's good. Now let's let's just dive back into time a little bit. About yeah. a year and a half ago, we stuffed around and we toyed with. Uh, and I want to get to. I'm getting to your close to nowhere program oh yes yeah you've got running with uh sbs any traction on that well we've finished the pilot and all we're doing for right now is um we're finished, there's a couple of parts in the pilot that need some backing music um so i've done three segments so basically while there's a voiceover the music in the background um so i've written some parts to it but can you pull it from something you've recorded and just say to the bands like you know get a uh, get a credit on the oh i could have but I think just to start fresh with everything, and also the point was to see if I could um, collaborate with Cav um, Temperley from Eskimo Joe. He's going to write some backings too. He's hosting the show, so we wanted to get him involved as well instead of just reading a script and doing it. Because I'm, I'm, I'm producing it, and I'm also a writer as well. Me and the co-producer and co-writer, Dorian Gray, who's now living in Sydney. So he's moved, and it's a long, been a long process. It's been since 2013. In fact, the funny thing is, one of the people invo- uh, who we feature is uh, Linda Smith. And um, in the first time we ever filmed her she was pregnant with her daughter her daughter's now four this year um but then we needed to get a segment where cav is actually interviewing her because he wasn't involved back then so we got her back involved and it got her back into an interview and she happens to be pregnant with her son so if you look at the clips of her playing pregnant and her being interviewed she's pregnant there's two different kids <laughs> that actually she's pregnant with so her daughter who's four this year she was uh, pregnant for while we filmed her performing but the the clips that you'll see of her being interviewed by cav she's pregnant with her son, who's now a few months older, a few months old, well, about six months old. So it's quite funny. The continuity actually worked out pretty well, but that just shows how long it's taken to get to this stage to, to get ready to show this pilot, the picture, the SBS. Yeah, well, I'm uh, really looking forward to it. And have have it, have SBS corresponded with you and said? How do we, no, no, not yet. No, we're still writing the proposal for them. Got it. So once we get to that stage, we send it through to them. Say, look, it's a half-hour show. We're going to make it half hour. It's easy enough. Um, this is the basic idea, it's a synopsis, this is what we're trying to do with it. Um, there's nothing on, on TV, commercial TV, that, that's anywhere near it right now. Um, we're going away from the sit-down audience competition style and going to the almost the food safari style. We go and meet a chef and they talk about their food and where their background was, but we're doing it with music. So we go and meet an artist, we go in their environment where they, where they like to play. The sort of style they like to Sit play. in their backyard. Well, yeah, exactly right, yeah, yeah. Talk to them, I mean, they've got recorded music, so maybe sit down... And have them play get them to pull an acoustic yeah, guitar yeah. out and then cut that in with their recorded well, stuff totally yeah that's exactly it and uh i mean i guess you you don't want to because i mean everyone's into that now yeah this is why podcasting so much fun yeah people want to know more about the they want to know the background stuff like yep. yeah so that and you you do have more interest in someone that you feel you know absolutely yeah that's right if you learn i mean there might be an amazing muso out there who's a complete arrogant cock in real life it's always disappointing to find that out Whereas if you find an artist who's who's a gen- a genuinely a good person and, and, and a really interesting to listen to, and you hear their music, you're more engaged with their music. And, and I think this, is, this adds another dimension to their music. When you hear their music, you're also hearing the person that wrote, wrote that, and there's a person who drives that music. It's cool to hear, it's cool to find out what the person's like before you hear their song, and, and, and vice versa, I suppose. But it's always disappointing when you find out they're arrogant and, you, and just they think they're amazing, and, they're, and it somehow affects the way their music sounds. You think, oh, you know, it, it, it tarnishes it for me anyway. So this show really is, is, is trying to show 
the human side of these artists before you hear their song. So the interview segment's sort of shown, then they get into their song, shows them setting up and getting ready to play. And then when you hear their song, you've got a bit of an insight into what they're like as a person before you listen to it. And that it almost, it sort of colors the song a bit. It's, it's cool in a, in a good way. Um, I suppose though, the downside of that, which is going forward, if we come across an artist who is an arrogant cock, what do we do? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but um, again, it's all about showing what these people are like in real life. And they're, they're, they're just regular. They're, 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 they go, they're, they work at McDonald's, some of them. Some of them are parents. But all you hear about, really, on the radio is their song. You don't really know anything about the person at all. So it's cool to sell the person, not the song. Well, we, we do, but we hear of... And because they pay for it, it's like Sony signed artists. And, True. And, you know, you'll hear a bit of background stuff about them. But yeah, yeah. Not just of the guys that you hear that's got so much nice music. Yeah. And, you know, and for me, that rootsy element about it, it's so yep. much better to watch. In fact, some of the guys that are... Well, artists in general that have made really well, a big name for themselves... Um, you, you would sometimes come across their bootleg stuff that was recorded years earlier. And you think, oh, that's amazing. It's so raw. It's so real. Just and a shout out to Kevin. Uh, I will never wear that sweater. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's it. Exactly right. <laughs> like if you heard that, you'd say, yeah. man, that is, that is not Eskimo Joe. That's right. That's right. And if that's... Eskimo Joe, when they hear it, they go, yeah, that's yeah. not <laughs> That's not us. And the, the beauty with that band is that they started back in the 90s and they started making it in about the mid-2000s. It took them 10 years to get national success. Yeah. That's a, to me, that's what a band should do is do the slog, do, do the work that needs to be evolved. Get, get the experience of becoming a great artist and developing a sound. This, this show, Close to Nowhere, catches you before you get to that stage. A lot of the artists are still developing their sound and experimenting with their different styles. So they're not polished yet, which is, I think is more interesting. But I love, one thing I'm seeing here in WA too, the music family, there's kind of three factions oh, yeah? I've noticed here in yeah, WA. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You've got those that are all, you've got this one faction which is like the Hen House crew. Yep. Um, Guys from uh, you know like Eskimo Joe, yep, yep, the Mojo's, uh, Jebediah, yep. you know, Birds of Tokes, yep, all that sort of crew that have they all know each other because they're all playing yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. those larger shows That's and right. there's that circle of group That's there right. that, clicks, that have yeah. sort of made it. Then you've got a whole range of folky type music and artists in, True. Um, in in WA, and then you've got the up and coming rockers that are the, like the. The Swan Basement type gigs and, yep, yep. and the gigs with guys like Tom Mantle and yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the shows he's put on the yeah, the sixty thirty uh, giggers that are doing those sorts of gigs and you know that sort of rocky stuff and yeah. so there's sort of like a, the, and a few in between sort of little spots and I guess that's something that a lot of people don't actually realise in WA that they all know each other like yeah. it's a big family and what I've seen lately is a bit of collaboration between yeah, yeah. those factions where some of the guys will step out and play with other guys and absolutely and it, and it's great it's yeah. great to see but uh, the flip side though is you get a few that are in their little clique and they won't go outside of that oh and, I've, I've seen that, I've seen that recently and, and, I, and I think that's the, their own art, art suffers for that I think more than, their, more than them I don't know being exclusionist like that sort of puts a label on you and, and artists that are up and coming tend to try and avoid you and that, and that can be, you know, that, that's not helpful for anyone, you know. I think the, and, and you know, whoever lives in Perth, you know what I'm talking about. That, that sort of, that click that doesn't really share anything, whether it's putting you on their bill or sharing around. Um, just their music in general, it seems very much, they're, they're, they're the elite and you don't touch them. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and to be honest, a lot of those ones that are in the elite and you can't touch are pretty mediocre musicians, but they happen to be in a Well, clique. I went and watched a collaboration of a lot of artists for a show recently yeah. and... The musicianship was pretty ordinary. Well, there you go. Knowing someone isn't enough. It, it, it might give you a status, but it's not going to make you a great musician or a great songwriter. 
Um, and, uh, I was quite disappointed. There was some yeah. that was good. Yeah. There was some that was bad. In particular, the vocals. Oh yeah. Some of the vocalists, which are leading acts here in WA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's our terrible. Yeah, that's our producer saying. Uh, not talking about yeah, that. Yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I'll get back to them later. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, sorry, we won't say any more about that. We've no, already been. No. Uh, we're, yeah, we're, we're going to get shut down. <laughs> we're, go, we're, we're going live, and this is what happens. <laughs> it's funny stuff. But well, one thing I suppose that is quite um, different for me, from the audience point of view, is the audiences that you play to regionally compared to metro area are massively different. And no, I guess for obvious reasons, there's nothing to do a lot of the regional areas so when an artist comes to town the appreciation is so much higher it's an event to go out to a pub to watch a band if you're in a regional area whereas here in the city that is um, it's so spread out there's so many pubs and so many choices to go to it's rare just to find ones that go out and just to see music by themselves and these are the general public we're talking about not, not the, the bands that are on the bill too the general public that just go out and see a band it's rare to come across ones that find a regular band that they like that are, that, that are a Saturday night a group of friends will go out and go see a band and, and I think part of that also is the age. When I was in my early 20s, a lot of my friends would come out to see these, these gigs. And um, I've got footage of us playing at different venues where, where it's packed with our friends. But you get to 30 plus, and they've all got other things on, and they don't usually come out and see your bands. And it, it tend, you tend to play to an empty room a lot of the time. It's pretty tough. Mate, we've been talking about Cav Templey and yep, your yep. thing with, uh, close, with, to nowhere, with yep. close to Nowhere. Yep. We've been talking about the music industry. Studio, everything. Oh, well, so... I guess uh, we used to muck around with that Scudbone show for a little bit now, too. That was basically this, but with a camera and a, ble a green screen. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. It, it was, was basically it was what, you're, what yeah. you're seeing now. But yeah, totally. Yeah, so. and that was that was cool fun. I mean, I think it was good. Uh, there wasn't much going on in Perth like that, as far as a music show that was featuring little music clips and going out. And I think you went to a couple of comedy clubs and checked out their artists that were there. Yeah, like done a bit and it was good fun. It was really good fun. Actually, right? it wasn't comedy. It was uh, open mic nights. Oh, right. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Cool. Well, no, no, I, yeah, I did do a bit of comedy. And I'd like to do that again, but it's so much work. Yeah, yeah. And with everything going on, family. Yep, yep. That's right. There you go. <laughs> very hard. It is. So, uh, now let's talk a bit about today's gig. Now, we're going to go down and play in a park. Yeah. Down near, at, uh, Ma down near Mantra. Mm -hmm. Off Paganoni Road, down to a place called Lakelands. On a Wednesday. I on a Wednesday afternoon. Is, is, it, a, is it? Do you know anything about this gig? What, like, is it a private function? Is it a? Oh no! It'll be just one of those park things where people just get together in the park and right. Okay. Have a barbecue. There you go. All right. Cool. <laughs> Build it and they'll come. They will come. That's right. Exactly. It. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, let's yeah, but yeah, the rehearsal we did in preparation for this show was pretty impressive. I don't think we've ever rehearsed. No. <laughs> We've got, the, we've got this thing, and, and anyone that's played with me in that, everything's in the key of G. That's for, right. Exactly. For two hours straight. <laughs> and that's all we're doing, just two hours of the key of G. Yep. And that's the way to roll. So right. uh, everything from uh, Kenny Rogers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To Kenny Could Have Been. That's right, exactly. To Kenny Loggins. <laughs> Loggins, yeah. Bit oh, of okay. danger zone in the yeah. key of G. <laughs> it was good stuff. But I mean, to be fair, we do key, key of E as well sometimes. There's a few diversions, but I mean, I guess the general rule is we don't really practice because we just keeps it fresh. We've played for so long, too. We know, we, know, we know our ebbs and flows. We know where we're supposed to move around with our chord changes. I know how you. I know your style. Um, it's just, it's easy to follow you, and my job's easy. I'm just sitting back and following your chords. You, you got to give the lyrics. I'm a black do. belt in my style, mate. <laughs> it's good. It's really good. 
So we've got this uh, thing where we, we just basically just jam it out. I I could drift from one song into another song. Yeah. And you're right there, which is really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Especially when that song's in G going to G. Especially <laughs> when it's from G, yeah. Yeah. I do believe there's a song going from G to E, and yeah. we, we call that the mind-blowing experience of the afternoon. That's right. Just from G to and drop down into an E. <laughs> and then just to round it back up so we're not feeling shell-shocked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We bring it back to G before That's we... That's right. Exactly yeah. We even tried an A one year. Do you remember that? When yeah. we threw an A chord in a song? <laughs> oh, like, man. It's I like LSD. It's freaky, eh? Yeah, it's like LSD. Yeah, you're right. So, um, mate, we, uh, we, you know, we've been playing for a little while. Is there any gigs that you can remember that were just ridiculous? In good or bad? Well, I want to tell the, fa- the dudes at home about a particular gig at Eaton Tavern. Oh, go on. And I, I don't know, I think I may have said this on the podcast well, before, we I can't it, remember. Well, well, first off, I'm going to show you what I, what happened with me from my point of tell view. Tell us, yeah, okay. So first but, off... No, no, but tell people, like, you, you, there's a, you've got a medical issue oh, with yeah, your eyes. Legally blind, is, uh, legally blind, which is, um, I've got cone dystrophy. Cone it, dystrophy. It's basically a fear of, of drugs. <laughs> but no, 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 it's it's cone it, dystrophy. It's actually... Yeah. So it's a fear of pulling cones. That's right, exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So basically, it's the, yeah, the, the cones in my retina have just, they're, they're scarred basically. So I can see around, I got my peripherals fine, but I've got, I've got like 3% um, central vision. So I'm very blurred and I can't really see five feet in front of me clearly. I could see a face at five feet in front of me. But basically, we did this gig at Eaton with um, an artist called Pop Standard. He's a sort of a blues artist. Um, and we got in, got up there and we we're playing a few shows. It, it was a typical sort of country pub. And then a few guys started coming up and dancing in front. I thought, oh, wicked, we've got some dancers, wicked, yeah, here we go. So, and then Jai said, I'll hold this. And he gave me his bass and got on, got on, and I, and I thought we were going to get up to dance, doing do some dancing or something. I was like, what the hell is going on Mind here? you, my wife, who we had just got married. Yeah. Or we were getting married, I think. Yeah, she, she was there as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Kaneko so. had come down, you know, like, because she just got into the country. And That's right. I said, come on, darling, come down. And she's sitting right at the front of the stage watching us play. That's right. Then these guys came up and started dancing. I thought, oh, okay, well, that's cool. Then these, yeah, cool, come up and started then, dancing. Yeah, and then Jai stopped and goes, hold my bass. I said, what the hell? And he got on the stage too. I was like, what's going on? And then Pop stopped playing, and we all stopped. And then, and then Pop, uh, then then, then um, Pop, I said, asked me, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? I said, what do you mean? He goes, I said, what are these guys doing? They're dancing, aren't they? Uh, but then Jai um, had okay, the same version too. I'm going to take over. Yeah. Right. So my version is, we are playing down the front <laughs> of a thing, and and Pete has got cone dystrophy. Yep. Which, as you said, makes you, you struggle. Is it short sighted? Oh, I'm, I'm short sighted too. But, I, but in general, this kind of history stops you from seeing anything clear in front of me, basically at all. All the time. Pretty much. So yeah. you can't wear glasses to fix it. No, or? no, no. I, I can wear glasses for the short sightedness, but not for the kind of history. It's bizarre. Wow. It's bizarre. Yeah, yeah. And is there any way of ever repairing that, like stem cells or? Well, that, that's, that's that's the hope in, in 20 or 30 years time, maybe. But at this stage here, I'm so used to it. When I was 13, I got it. So when you bring things up really close, you can, I can see it. them really close and in almost complete darkness like in, in a dark room with no that's right because you've got that kind up. of thing where the, the, the light has a lot of problems with yeah yeah the more light and the rods filter the light out so your right. retina's got getting burnt by too much light well right? the, the rods themselves are what kick in when you've got low light so there's not a great color perception but the, 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 I, can, I can read well with, with using my rods so in a dark room i can read well but in light i can't see well so it's, it's counterintuitive it's weird the less light the better i can see <laughs> it's weird Wow. But yeah, but this gig, I mean, this, it was obviously, it was a dark gig, but it didn't help me. I, I couldn't see what was going on properly in front of me. Um, and then Jai, so Jai basically continued his story. Yeah, now. so anyway, like, so Pete's got that issue. Like, he's seen guys dancing in front of him. Yep. What had actually happened was, we're in a country pub, and it's a bit of a wild joint, full of blokes, yep. a couple of nice girls in the place. Things got weird. The guys started swinging for the fences. 
and they're getting close to Kaneko and Kaneko's sitting there like sort of backing up I feel so afterwards. sort of backing up to the wall a little bit you know trying to escape from the fight <laughs> these guys and then I just I wasn't going to have it so I've said to Pete can you hold me guitar <laughs> meanwhile I've looked at the bouncer that was sort of an Indian looking dude or a something who would have been 50 kilos <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly and was absolutely pegging his gear because these guys that are all monsters started swinging, on the stage, yeah. started swinging for the fences <laughs> and uh, he didn't know what no one knew what was going on no so yeah that sort of basically happened and everyone's freaking out so, we, you, so you, got, you got off stage to try and subdue him to stop him you know to get, get break we, up the fight yeah I jumped off stage well that's why you were getting up there to dance with them like oh this, this is going really well let's, let's have a bit of a play here a little jam yeah well I'm trying to sort out what, what was going on because <laughs> basically I, I had no idea what was happening and, no, no. and I didn't want them Kenneko too close to me oh, that, full yeah, stop. that's right yeah, yeah. so then I'm asshole on these blokes and I'm throwing <laughs> I threw one out come back got the other one and then picked him up and threw him out he ended up going off remember that night yeah and uh <laughs> And said to the security, just lock the door and stand there. Do, do something. Yeah, yeah. I think I said something like, you wouldn't have got a start. In no, New, that's, that's in right. In Newcastle. That's right, that's right, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't have even got a start. But anyway, <laughs> um, that happened because of the lockout laws with the bike. Uh, not the lockout laws. You can't be affiliated and work security. And they had great security down there, but they were affiliated with a bikey fraternity. So uh, they, they weren't allowed to have anyone that was affiliated work on doors. No. So what they did is they went, fine, if that's the rule you're going to make, yeah. we're going to put in these guys that are going to do nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All right? Yeah. So that's exactly what happened. And right, uh, yeah. anyway, so shit's gone sour. I've asked Pete to hold me guitar. <laughs> I get back and I grab me guitar after us holding these yeah, blokes. Yeah. And then I go, right, yeah, let's go. And Pete's like, oh, well, <laughs> what happened there? And I said, didn't you see they were kicking off? It was a big blue. And he's just gone, oh, nah. I just thought they were dancing. <laughs> It was fantastic. <laughs> it was great. That was good. Yeah, that gig was one of the one of the funny ones for me. Definitely, oh. it was really bizarre. It was so bizarre. Kaneko sat behind <laughs> us on stage for the rest of the gig. <laughs> I don't blame her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's funny stuff. So yeah, a lot of fun. It was good. Yeah. But anyway, we're getting close to the gig, so we're going to sign out. Pete, really good talking to you again, mate. You too, mate. Yeah, yeah, good. It's yes. Good. You know what? I bet that I bet that storm coming has got tigers in it. Going green, baby. Brace yourself, people. This may have tigers in it. Gaddafi, Dubai, he was such a fucking smart man. He kicked him out. He had actual gold and he wanted to float the African dollar or their currency based on gold. But to Gaddafi do. Gaddafi was head of. Lebanon. 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 So, what, yeah. what to, in order to do that, the world has to do a stock take of gold. Fort Knox is empty. And they say they've got a certain amount of gold. Yep. England has no fucking gold. They would have been called out. And Australia has a bit. Yeah. And their currency, the US dollar, the euro, and England would have been wiped out. Yeah. Because it's fraudulent. Because it's all based, yeah, it's based on, 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 on that type of shit. That is why fucking Rothschild started the That's euro, who owns the fucking US. He started it. Rothschild he he started it because he knows the US dollar huh. is really worth nothing. Because they're, they're going backwards in what they owe. They can never yeah. pay the amount. It's why the yeah. Chinese so stopped yeah. buying it. Who has the gold? Well, what do you reckon? That, that's the only thing really on earth still on. America. So where do you reckon his gold's gone? Right. Nice and simple with that. But Putin, who is saying you're full of shit, he 
and I, this is what I reckon you get into, is silver or copper. Because mm. the gold, everybody knows is... Well, anyone in the, everyone in the well, know it's, it's like knows, 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 knows the, the level. They, they, they know the level is bullshit. Yeah. It's um, like in... If you buy actual gold, it has to be stored in a government mm. area. So if there's a war and they need it, they can take it. Yeah. Yeah, with, yeah. without your permission you are yeah. not allowed to keep it at home it has yeah, to be like guns it has to be registered yeah. wherever it is yeah. Yeah. so the government can get their hands on it for that reason it's all fucking bullshit it's all a lie mm. but silver they they haven't done that so you'll find out yeah. the amount of gold is going to collapse because it's all bullshit yeah. so where's oil weighing on this? oil? Well, oh, well, look at where the next fuck. fucking war is we're actually it's, it's still a commodity like people want oil as much as gold we're in World War 3 now yeah. Tell me a begun. country that isn't fighting in Syria. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. And the reason for that is, is because oil that was going, there was an oil line. The Russians want to go through a certain way because they've got all the oil reserves, which is why they said in the Baltic Sea or whatever it was that they were invading and whatever it was. It's because the Yanks tried taking it to set up a base so uh, mm. Russia couldn't get their oil out, so it wasn't a port yeah, in there. Yeah, the Mediterranean. Yeah, so yeah. so they, they want to run an oil line from there through Syria because they've got reserves that they won't buy off. Because remember, there was all the, um, oh, you know, where they stop and buying off you? Off you? What is it? Uh, you know, where they say you can't buy anything off them and all that type of shit? Yeah. Um, sanctions. So, sanctions. So they had yeah. all these sanctions on them. So they have tried bribing Turkey to get it to go through there so the Russians can't get their oil out of the country and generate money. But Syria has gone... Because they are a Muslim-elected nation, the only nation in the world that has voted to go from a democracy back to Muslim Syria. Syria. Yeah, right. So has the US planted ISIS to try and destabilise that? You, you know what ISIS really stands for? Israel Secret Intelligence Service. Mm. No shit. Why is it these Muslim nations, and you tell me a Muslim nation... Well, I always thought it was weird, ISIS, and then they say Islamic State, and it's only yeah, like, one is... What it used to be called? What it used to be called? It, it, was, it was Syria. Ice. No, it, was it started but ISIL now. They've changed it to yeah, ISIL, ISIL because that, be, that's ISIS. what people were saying. And then it used to Which stands for? What's ISIL stand for? Fuck knows. I don't yeah, know. I, I honestly don't know. I know. Ian Strover yep. is legendary, <laughs> right? Ian Strover is legendary. Legend. Wait, I fucking I Legend. agree with that. In the petrochemical now, industry. Now, now this this is where the I thought it was. Is Stuart in love? I have so many fucking questions. Why is it these ISIL Syria fucking mercenaries yep. who are getting paid off? Every Muslim nation hates Israel, right? Mm. Everyone. Yep. Why is it they are? trying to destroy a newly elected Muslim fucking country who is on the border of Israel, why aren't they going two kilometres that way and taking on Israel? Instead, they are disrupting a Muslim country and causing shit. Well, they're, uh, because of all the Jewish people in America. You're talking about specifically? In Syria. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking about these terrorists that are yeah, doing this yeah, and yeah, America yeah. has to go in and help them. You yeah. know why America's gone in? They paid these people to be mercenaries yeah, and disrupt the, the fucking place. place. Yeah, yeah. And what Russia's done is given them fucking more money and said, no, now you're going to fight for us. And the yeah. Americans have had to go in. And this this is about Turkey. You know when that Russian fighter was shut down? Yep, yep. The Americans hacked their computer system and shot it down. That is why, straight afterwards, the Turkish Prime Minister came out and said, it wasn't us, we didn't do it. And that's why Russia 
didn't go at them. So I still think America's doing a lot of... MH17, um, oh. the Twin Towers, I think. I honestly still think it America was. has a lot to do with all There's this. There's footage to show explosions going off in that. Did you know that the Twin Towers, a guy bought a week before and then he yeah, included the for the first time the a terrorism clause in it for 40 what, for fucking his, billion dollars. So yeah. For insurance. Yeah. He bought it. It was a week his before. a month before. 40 week fucking before. billion yeah, yeah. dollars for terrorism, which included airplanes. Okay, so let's go back to that. Well, was there actually pilots that flew into the building? Have or was somebody no. brainwashed by and Muslim extremists that said, we need to do this, and they just went and done it? All have the video clips were military planes. Have, yeah. have, have you ever planes. seen a domestic plane that's grey? Yeah, yeah, for a start. You don't? Yeah, but I've seen some footage too, and I actually don't agree with that. They do look like an American Airlines aircraft. You can see footage in the Pentagon of a missile going yeah, in the yeah, side yeah. and blowing it yeah. up. Yeah, well, you look at it, and it kind of looks like a slanted, like almost like an looks like an Akubra, not that a plane's yeah. gone in there. Oh, ex exactly right. A but, frame. But they've also got blue. footage. And um, they've got footage of when this plane allegedly goes in, about 20 stories down, an explosion coming out the Did side. Did they not uh, find yeah. plane parts? But, see, they, see yeah, the, the, yeah, the thing I don't get, right, they didn't find rocket shit. fuel is able to burn steel, right, mount, or mount steel. How the is fuck it? are they finding whole passports of these people on there? There's a lot of questions. But a lot of questions. You mean, well, on the planes... Yeah, in the wreckage, they found. Well, has anyone actually come out and said I, I lost my mother on the plane? They were on, or my brother, or I can't yeah. honestly what about recall. The mobile phone calls that they were taking to the uh, the, the planes that were hijacked. I still what think people actually flew into the building, but I think it was set up, and they yeah. they, they, they I, I actually, that's what I believe. I yeah. think they the planes did fly into the building, and yeah, I do believe they were hijacked. But I think this was a seed that was planted years yeah. before. Yeah, it was. To, to do and Bush they, you was know, failing. He was never they were convinced to, to do it because government. they were doing it for Allah and they were doing so, it for. So, they so why did excuse. why did George Bush, senior, who's in partnership with Obama's old man, get the Obama family out of the country a week before? That's right. They're all questions that, that, that aren't answered, that, and they still to this day have not been answered. But that's true and correct. Yeah, but how many scientists and engineers have? looked at the footage, all the footage of the Twin Towers falling and gone, a tower, a building cannot fall that fast without having a organised, detonated explosion. Yay and nay. I actually do believe that once the steel's heated and you're having a yeah, floor collapse the steel collapse needs on to be floor, heated to what temperature? I, I do believe it is possible. I'm, what not, temperature? I'm not discrediting that. What temperature does it have to be? Oh, who gives a fuck? But fucking it's, 2,000 beyond It's a floor degrees. falling on a floor, on a floor, on a floor, and it just keeps going. It, it, to heat it's a to that temperature. That that. As Trump says, fake news. Fake, fake news. news. Yep. Exactly right. And, and what happened after that? They went into Iraq, didn't they? Or, yeah. the, or, or they went somewhere where there was oil. An excuse. No, they went after Saddam, didn't they? Oh, they went into Afghanistan. They went into. They, they went straight after Iraq. Saddam. For yeah, it. yeah. They, they, they went in. Was off the map. And, and they just went in for no reason. Both of those countries weren't owned by the Rothschilds. They're banks. Neither of them were prior yeah, to that. Yeah, well, it makes sense. And and why are is the Rothschilds in Israel? No, he lives in fucking England. Yeah, but I mean, are they, has he got dealings in Israel? Every Zionist gets, sends a portion of their wage back to the mother country. If if you ask a Jewish person. Who comes first here, Australia or Israel? Yeah. They'll say Israel, yep. because that's the motherland. 
That's who comes first. That's why all of them do their military service, etc., and all that type of bullshit. Do you think yeah. this has got anything to do with like a like a retribution for World War Two and the Hitler whole? Like, what was the reason behind Hitler hating Jews so much? Mate, and then I don't mate, know. maybe he's a smart man. Now, there's got to be a reason why, for thousands of years, allegedly, the Jews have been persecuted. Why yeah. does everybody try and kill them? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think because they've, they've, they have held power for a long time and that there's something subliminal going on there. And I, they control what we hear, what well, we know, the, what yeah. we see. I, no, look, I think Hitler went after them because they did control Germany. Yeah. But they did it through commerce. That's how they controlled them, not through military, yeah, yeah. not through anything. So it was the purse strings that the Jewish had in Germany, not the military might, or the following of the country and the, the Aryan people and the, you know... Yeah. those that weren't Jewish in, in Germany. Did you know the Germans, uh, b just before World War Two, had a Hollywood bigger than Hollywood? They were making movies and they were sending their own information and movies out, and then that's why Hollywood was created, so they can get out and, no, no, this is how it is. Because as people used to do, they used to see movies and think they were real. That's right. Mm. Propaganda back then was believable, yeah. and it's mm. what... And, and look, that, that was back then was... The propaganda was what drove the whole nation. Remember, they didn't have iPads, they didn't have phones. That'll never happen again. We will not see a drive like that. We will see a backlash, but we won't see that the wool pulled over people's eyes now, like I'm, that. I'm not saying that um, the Jews didn't get killed and or whatever oh, in, in, they in, they in, in World War II. My grandfather is German. He was involved with a German war camp, and he has told me personally that happened. Yeah, but... but I'm not sure about the numbers because I remember I read somewhere recently when they were doing population counts by um, religion or people. You look at the counts just after World War Two; it is extremely larger than what it was than before World War Two. I believe the counts around about the six million mark is what. Yeah, you believe it was statistics and, and like demographics. Who who at the time? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Who exactly. who does the information go through? Who does it serve? Well, it's all through media. Yeah, but, but what's and the And we, we have to believe it. We, look, none of us can go there and count how many heads went down. No. So we, we actually don't know. And people that pretend they do know have found it out of somebody else, especially 80 years on. All of a sudden, the Governor-General sacked the fucking Prime Minister. Why? Well, why was that? The Governor-General is obviously the Queen's representative. Yeah, representative. And he, uh, he held the power to do that, I must admit. Um, he has got the power to sack the, the Prime Minister. But in saying that too, why? That's the question. Why? But you've, you've got to look at the questions he was asking. If, if you ask people that go back, pe why do people say he was one of the best Prime Ministers this country's had? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Gough Whitlam. And yeah, you know what? yeah, yeah. Because he but was then, there for us. But then why did he say, and why did this saying come out, which is so synonymous with Australian history, you may say the Governor-General, but... Uh, was it? Uh, do you remember the one about? Uh, yeah. You may. No, God, they no, do say God no, saved no, the Queen. He, he said God saved God the Queen. God helped the Governor General. Yeah, exactly right. So no, it's well, he, well. then okay, Harold Holt. Did he just walk into the water or yeah, go yeah, into yeah. the Russian Fuck. fucking submarine that they reckon? Yeah. Who who knows? I mean, because Harold Holt was Gough Whitlam coming because Harold Holt disappeared. Yep. True. So, as a, do you think Australia has as much checkered history? as a CIA in America? And do we have something that's like CIA here in Australia? That we're, we're a country that 
We're all we, no, we give, we give zero puppets. fucks in Australia. We don't. How many of us here really get into politics? We do now, but growing up, how many times did you think about politics? Yeah, fuck but we all. have a really good, like the the main populace of Australia still are smart enough to vote and and know what they're voting for. The last Australian election, I was but really do impressed. We? No, I was really Malcolm impressed. Turnbull. Right, no, but have gone back on everything so they've ever said. He was so close to losing. He just had it in the bag. And Are we going to so see a backlash to like America? Are we going to see Paul and Anton romp in because people just want to see shit fucked up? Yeah, I know. That's no, the no, thing they're, that no, I'm they're sick of the fucking empty promises. Tell me, yeah, the, yeah. T- yeah. tell me the last politician that actually served the people and yeah. gave a fuck about this, us this and, and, and weren't there oh, no, for I themselves. Will go back. Paul Keating. Yep. Paul Keating. Said, I will lift he, he this country out of deficit. Yeah, yeah. Got us and in and China. he did it. He done really he well. Did. Because he went over and he sucked some Chinese fucking dick. Yeah. Yep. Get Bill Shorten but, in. But he wouldn't take shit. And not, that's no, why people Shorten. voted him out. Shorten's fucking alright. Get, get Hanson right. in. Fuck the shit up. And then put, <laughs> put Australia on notice, just like America is now, that we're over it. And from here on in, you better be a bit more South honest. China Sea. I think What's it's a great thing. There? I think it's a great thing. And the politics now is never going to be the same again. People are going to have to start sticking to their guns. And you know what? How hard is it to get fucking five people to organise to do something? We'll never get a country overthrown. Or you'll never see a coup in Australia. Mm. Let's go overthrow the Prime Minister. Nah, I've got fucking lunch on at Dave's place. Do you you know why... (laughs) That's how much people care about it. And I know it's comical, but it's so fucking true. Do you know why the coups happened in Fiji? Because... Didn't even know. Oh, there was about three coups there where the military just kicked the government out. That's right. Because what happened was the Indians were coming in. Yes. They were trying to take the land and just look after the Indians. So the Fijis went, nah, fuck that. Out you go. Gone. So then, because, and then the next lot came in. They built, if you go uh, on the mainland in Nadi, down the main street, the government built the Indian pollies, spent $6 million on an Indian temple down the fucking end of the street. It's not even Fijian. And then they went, right, you're out. Now they've changed the laws. No one but a Fijian can own land there. You can have it for 100 years, but the Fijians can take it back, and if you want workers, they have to be Fijian. There was a similar thing wow. going on and you pay in, in Timor as well. And it was. It was, all, it was all the people moving down through Southeast India. There's yeah. another one the Americans have hidden behind the Indonesians, paying in them to go kill the fucking Papua New Guineans. For the mining there, it's fucking disgraceful. They've I love, killed I love hundreds the fact of thousands. Papua New Guineans are a warrior, proud race of people. Because they look at it very simply. Invasion, let's fight. That's what that they do. And they, they band together and they, and they do. Why does Australia give Indonesia so much money when they're spending something like $3.5 billion on their military? Because Australia is scared of what Indonesia could do if it decides yeah, to fucking, it's gonna fucking take come us over. over. Coming over and how many people in Indonesia? Three hundred million or something crazy, you know. Well, let's look and up. Indonesia never used to have the money that they have now, and now they're starting to collect a lot of cash, and they have the might, and they're starting to build up their military, and that is our only actual threat on a logistic level, mm. because Indonesia is a quick hop, skip, and a jump to Australia. Two hundred fifty so, mil. So if they were to, there you go, two hundred fifty million. If you take any event happening in the world and look at it from a completely different kind of view, you'll see some pretty fucking weird stuff. 9-11. Now, planes flew into that building, but did they? 
New World Order, okay? NWO. Read the fucking facts. Was George Bush in some kind of mind control game? Are the Jews involved? Are the Jews in cahoots? I don't know. Put the pieces together in your mind. So 1776, okay? You've got the pyramids and you've got the eye. Where do they go? They go on the dollar note. You can bet your bottom dollar that something's going on. The evidence is there. Space. We all know about space, don't we? Saturn. Have you been there? I've never been there. Now, look at the fucking Wizard of Oz. Was he involved in something? Listen to me. Uncle Sam. He was pointing at you to go to war. He wants you to go to war. Abu Ghraib. Vietnam. This is the world we're living in. Clinton. Ratzinger. Weird hand signs. Christmas. Look at Santa. Look at Christ. Stick a beard on Christ and a bit of fucking white hair. It's Santa Claus. Let's stop the fucking roller coaster for a second. Because there's something else I want to hit you with. Spiders. Eight little legs on them. Very scary creatures. Sometimes you find them in the bath and you have to sweep them into the plug. I don't think it's a silly question to ask. The owls. The owl lady. My own mother. She's in the fucking Illuminati. I want to stop it. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what I'm on about. Dad, dad, dad.